0: Welcome to another episode of Sky Women Podcast. Welcome back, friends. I have with me today, Dr. Cheruba Prabaka. She is a OB-GYN, mom of three, and her special interest is minimally invasive gynecologic surgery. So she knows a lot about abnormal uterine bleeding and fibroids and minimally invasive treatments.
1: Welcome, Dr. Prabaka. Thank you so much, Dr. Moyers. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited. Thanks for having me. Absolutely welcome.
0: So let's get into it. First of all, you did a minimally invasive gynecologic surgery fellowship. So talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, so um I did a first you know right after medical school I did a 4-year residency in OBGYN in New York and at that time I really figured out that my passion was surgery and I wanted a little more training in that. And so I applied for a minimally invasive gynecologic surgery fellowship. And I was lucky to actually end up in Brooklyn for two extra years where I got to train in the more more advanced surgical techniques, including using the robot and more advanced laparoscopy as well as vaginal surgery. And at that time, I was seeing a lot of patients with fibroids and abnormal bleeding. And so that sort of became the bread and butter of what I did in fellowship and then uh, really developed into a strong interest of mine over time.
0: Awesome. So for those who are listening and don't know necessarily what fibroids are, can you explain that to us?
1: Yes. So fibroids are benign tumors of the uterus and they're made of smooth muscle, just like the type of muscle that the uterus is made of. And often they can come up in the late twenties, maybe thirties for some women, even later in the forties, and they can create a lot of symptoms for patients. And like I said, most, most often they are, benign or or not dangerous they are very very rarely cancerous right right
0: okay so these non-cancerous masses within the uterus that can be on the outside of the uterus within the body of the uterus they can be kind of all over the place sometimes visually trying to explain to a patient i kind of explain it as like warts on the the uterus yes yes
1: (laughs) okay so what type of symptoms do they cause so sometimes fibroids actually don't cause any symptoms. So right. a patient may actually never know that they even have a fibroid unless they were getting a scan for something else. And Or at the time so of behold, C-section, a lot of times we'll find fibroids. Exactly. That they know they yeah, exactly. When they're delivering their baby or they're getting a... A CAT scan or something for something else and fibroids are found. But mainly fibroids present with bleeding. So very heavy bleeding, very irregular bleeding. Patients often say they're changing multiple pads or tampons. They can also feel a lot of pelvic pressure and pain, sometimes pain with intercourse or or sex. So these are some of the most more common symptoms that patients Mm -hmm. present with. Sure. And if it's bulky enough, it
0: can press against the bladder or the bowel. And you can even have symptoms with constipation and difficulty emptying
1: your bladder, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. And some patients even look pregnant, you know, they've got right. this, this mass that's growing and they're all alarmed and, you know, it almost looks like they're four or five months pregnant. And then we actually find out that it's actually a fibroid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about, and it, there sometimes this acute pain that we can have with a fibroid.
1: Yeah. So this is sometimes this is how actually patients even figure out that they have a fibroid, you know, they have severe cramping, severe pain, they're, rushing to the er and then they get a scan that shows just shows a fibroid and what happens is when fibroids are growing at some point they can lose their blood supply and when this happens they start to secrete very inflammatory little chemicals into the into the pelvis that can cause very bad pain and very bad cramping so a lot of times even in pregnancy actually this is how sometimes fibroids present and so this is this can be a type of presentation more acutely. And at that time, we're really going after pain control. You know, the ER, we're not making you know urgent decisions to do surgery, but we are helping the patient with pain control and then talking about okay, what else can we do? Right, right. The times that I've seen this that are the worst are usually in pregnancy whenever they have yes. a fibroid that's yeah, necrosis. Yes. Yeah. And that can, yeah. that can be really tough because it can mimic preterm labor and patients are thinking, oh no, am I going to have this baby early? But it's, it's actually the fibroid that's causing these contractions. Right. Okay. So what causes these fibroids? You know, that's a million dollar question, right? Everybody wants to know my Um, body. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's actually one of the first questions patients ask me, you know, what did I do? Why did I get this? You know, how did I get this? And as far as we know, you know, it's, it's a complex, interplay of different factors. So the first is genetic. A lot of times patients will say, oh yeah, you know, actually my mom had a fibroid and my grandmother and my aunt, and they had a hysterectomy because of that. And and so it can be definitely genetic. Number two, you know, race, ethnicity also plays a role. We know that African-American women are disproportionately affected fibroids as well as darker skinned women. So South Asian women um, are also, you know, are found to have fibroids at an increasing rate, but really I've seen them, you know, in everybody, but by the time women are about 40 to 50, about 70% of women have had a fibroid. Um, Not all are symptomatic, but you know, they've had them. And then lastly, and I think the most important one that I try to impress upon patients is your diet. So Mm -hmm. Estrogen-containing products, animal products that have a lot of estrogen, can make fibroids grow. So I promote a more plant-based diet, mm-hmm. more cruciferous vegetables, that kind of thing. So at least that is something that is in our control. We can't really right. you control know, our genetics, <laughs> control our genetics, or right. you know what happened with our grandmother and our mom, or the fact that we got it. But at least you know we can eat more healthy and maintain a healthy lifestyle so we prevent it from growing more or causing us more issues right okay so we talked about possible
0: complications of uh, fibroids in pregnancy and a little bit about prevention so if somebody's really struggling with with fibroid with heavy prolonged vaginal bleeding they're really tired of the symptoms what are our treatment options?
1: Yeah. You know, there's so many treatment options now and they're constantly being updated, which is, which is great. You know, a lot of my patients will say, oh, my mom had bleeding and hysterectomy. Like that was like the only, the only, right you no, know, exactly. <laughs> like everybody had hysterectomy for bleeding. So luckily we have newer things and newer ways of looking at treatments now. And so we start with, you know, medical management. So birth control pills can help with Just the bleeding, the symptoms, a lot of it is symptom control, right? So if you're really looking to take away the problem, then we look at surgery. But if you're looking more to just have a better quality of life and take away the bleeding and the pain, then we've got medications. We've got the Mirena IUD, which is also really great, kind of a non-invasive way of of helping for several years. And that works very well if you have small fibroids. We've got uterine artery embolization, which is a procedure that uh, kills off the blood supply to these fibroids and makes them kind of shrink. And so that's a really good one as well. And for patients who really have more Bulk symptoms, pressure symptoms, you're looking pregnant. I mean, it's really a lot. Or for patients who have many fibroids and they're trying to get pregnant. So they want their uterus to be all nice and clean and, you know, optimal for, for fertility. For those patients, we do recommend removing the fibroids so that they optimize the fertility and prevent miscarriage or any other complications, you know, during pregnancy. And the last option, of course, is a hysterectomy where we remove the uterus and the fibroids altogether so that, you know, you pretty much never had had this problem again. And I I just want to make the important distinction that, you know, a hysterectomy does not mean taking out the ovaries. I feel like a lot of patients are, they just don't want a hysterectomy because in their mind, they're thinking that means, oh no, I'm going to going to menopause and my hormones are going to be all messed up. And um, that is not the case at all. It is just, we're just taking the uterus and the fibroids, but we're leaving, we're leaving the ovaries. Okay.
0: Does the term partial hysterectomy just grate on your nerves? (laughs) 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 What does it mean?
1: (laughs) You know, that there's a lot of the different types of hysterectomies. Let's just walk through that Yes. This is, this is, there's a lot of confusion around this, even amongst doctors, even, you know, sometimes even depending on where where you are in the country, everybody, you know, uses a different terminology. So a total hysterectomy means removing the uterus. That's, that's all it means. A total hysterectomy means removing the uterus and the cervix. So those are the only two types of hysterectomy, either as a subtotal with sub cervical yeah sub sub cervical subtotal means just removing the uterus and a total means uterus plus cervix and then the ovaries are a completely different thing so it's either hysterectomy with removing the ovaries or without remo- removing the ovaries so yeah those are it's i thank you for bringing that up because that is so important and i think it causes so much confusion and fear because you know patients already in their mind are like oh no i'm not doing that because I want my hormones. So you can definitely keep your hormones. If your ovaries are good, there's no reason to take out your ovaries. Correct. Where
0: in in years past, that was not the case, right? Like, I mean, you're done having babies. We're going to take out your ovaries. <laughs> that's Thank right. Thank God we've like, learned more and we're,
1: we've advanced. When you know better, you do better. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of, yeah, I feel like I mean, hysterectomy was so common. I even had a patient say she had hysterectomy for birth control purposes. And I was, you know, really trying not to roll my eyes. But you know, 40, 50 years ago, these things were being done. Right. And you're right. Uh, the ovaries, well, we're already in there, so might as well take out the ovaries. And now we've come a long way in learning the importance of the ovaries and the benefits the estrogen provides for our brain and our heart and bones and all of that. So we want to try and preserve that. So for patients with fibroids and bleeding, we're really just talking about taking care of, of the problem, which is the uterus.
0: Yes. Okay. And what are your thoughts on an opportunistic salpingectomy? So we're going to remove the fallopian tube, which are the little arms that hang off of the uterus, right? We're going to remove those at the time of the hysterectomy.
1: Yeah. So that that is something I routinely do. Actually, yes. we, we do know that there are some types of ovarian cancers that can actually be that can actually arise in the fallopian tubes. So on the fallopian tubes, I mean, the only thing that they're really useful for is picking up an egg um, for those and and bringing it into the the uterus for those who are trying to get pregnant. So if you're already in there taking out the uterus, clearly you're done having kids and there's kind of no point to, you know, having the fallopian tubes. Fallopian tubes come with it. Yes, I I practice the
0: same way. Yes, absolutely. That is the latest... One of the one of the treatments that we hadn't talked about are the radiofrequency ablation. What are your thoughts oh, yeah. on that?
1: Yeah, so there are some centers around the country who are doing that. I think it helps a little bit more for smaller fibroids, so more in the three to five centimeter range, and. I think there's a slightly higher recurrence risk with that procedure. That's clinically, that's what I've seen. Okay. Um, when patients who have had this procedure, you know, they do kind of recur and then I'm doing a myomectomy for them afterwards. So mm-hmm. I think that's sort of a challenge with that. And the second is it's just not readily available in a lot of institutions. So you do have to seek like a fibroid center or a specialized mm-hmm place. And just out of curiosity, are they, are they offering it where you are in Texas and not in your institution? Okay, great. That's, That's really good. Yeah.
0: So if somebody says, oh, I just really don't want to have a hysterectomy and they want to have a myomectomy. So they want the fibroids removed. If it's reasonable, like what considerations do we take into whenever we're we're talking about our different approach, right? I mean, if they have one fibroid, two fibroids, yeah, sure, we could do a myomectomy, but if their uterus is full of large fibroids, that's really impossible because you don't have much left to put back together, correct?
1: Yeah, that's true. I think that the biggest factor that I look at is, are they done having kids? So if a patient is done having kids and you know they're 45 or 50 and they're bleeding heavily, whether it's one fibroid or two or three or five, I am most likely recommending a hysterectomy for that patient. Yes. Because something that many patients don't realize is that just taking out the fibroids is a much more bloody operation. It takes longer, it yes. longer time under anesthesia versus really just taking the uterus out as a whole. And so when you look at your outcomes, you you're actually much better off when you do a hysterectomy in that case. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the point, those are the points that I try to get across to patients. For those who are still not done having children, then, you know, whether it's one or 10, then we're still attempting really to just remove the fibroids.
0: Mm-hmm. And they would have to have a C-section for future deliveries because of the scar on the uterus and the risk of the uterine rupturing. Or the exactly. uterus rupturing, rather.
1: The, yeah, the uterus rupturing. I mean, it, it really depends where the fibroid is. If it's truly just hanging off the outside, then it's right. fine. But if you have like 10, 15 fibroids that are scattered all through the, the muscle of the uterus and you're making multiple cuts to take these out, then yes, you don't want that muscle contracting a lot during delivery. So we want to deliver by a C-section and do that a little bit early too, right? Around 36, 37 weeks. So for patients who are undergoing this procedure, it's, it's very important to ask your doctor, actually, you know, when I go on to have a baby, do I need a C-section? That's because a lot of patients are moving, you know, they they see a surgeon in one place and they go somewhere else to have a delivery. So that's that's an important fact just to know for yourself.
0: Right, right. Know your medical history. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Two other things that I want to talk about. One is morcellation at the time of a hysterectomy. So a morcellation is a process of breaking up the fibroids into smaller pieces kind of within the belly, right, to remove that. And will you explain kind of why we have to do it or why we might do a morcellation?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the whole idea of a minimally invasive um, hysterectomy is that we are doing the procedure with just three or four tiny incisions that are about five millimeters. If we're doing a total hysterectomy, which is removing the cervix as well, often we can just slide the entire specimen right through the vagina. But otherwise, if it's too big or there's fibroids, it's not going to fit, then we got to get it out somehow. And so the way we do it is usually through the belly button. We make the incision a little bit bigger, about two centimeters, and then we put it in a bag and then we bring it up to the surface and then cut it up into these small pieces using a knife and then kind of take the specimen out. That way. And that can be a bit of a process. If it's not a huge uterus, then it's pretty quick. But if it's a big uterus or fibroids that have been around for a long time and it's gotten really hard, you know, that can take upwards of an hour just to get that out. Yeah, right. When would you consider an endometrial ablation for a patient with fibroids? That's a great question. For patients who are having heavy bleeding, but have very small fibroids that are inside the cavity, so you can actually see it through a hysteroscope, which is a which is a camera that we put right through the cervix into the into the uterus. An ablation would be really good for that. And an ablation is where we're circulating really hot water or you know steam to kind of evaporate or burn the lining of the uterus. And so that will also vaporize those tiny fibroids so those patients you know are good candidates patients who are close to menopause so just two or three you know years away from menopause are also good candidates for ablation we just want to make sure that there's nothing abnormal going on in the cavity so often before an ablation your doctor will want to do biopsy just to make sure that everything is normal and you know there's no cancer cells or anything because we're burning the lining and we want to make sure before we do that, that there's nothing abnormal going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so I it's think a, it's, it's go ahead. I think an important part of the, to know about the ablation is that it often is successful for about two to three years. So mm-hmm. patients who are having heavy bleeding and they're kind of, you know, 40 years old, you know, may not get the full potential of an ablation ablative procedure in terms of timing. They're they're still about 10 years away from menopause. And so this may this problem and the bleeding may start up again after a few years. But it's a great option for those who are kind of almost you know almost near menopause 47, 48. Right. So the thing that I want to make sure that we
0: address as we kind of wrap this conversation up is one, It's a process when somebody comes in with heavy bleeding and they say, oh, I'm just, I want a hysterectomy. I'm done. Right. It's a process, right? We have to get imaging. We have to sample the lining of the uterus. We have to know exactly what it is that we're dealing with. We have to rule out medical causes such as a thyroid disorder or diabetes or something of that nature. Correct. So it's a bit of a process to get to the diagnosis and the treatment plan. So you need to trust the process as you get your questions answered by your provider. What are the takeaways that you want women to know if they're struggling with abnormal uterine bleeding and they find out they have fibroids?
1: Yeah, so I, I love that you said that it's a process. And I think psychologically too, it's kind of a process, right? Because you come in and your doctor says, "Oh, you need surgery or oh, you know we should we should do this." and you know you're not really prepared to to hear that. So one of the, key things advice is really to keep track of your symptoms and the timeline of when things have happened if you've had previous procedures done you know when those were if you're seeing a, a new doctor for the first time try to find somebody who specializes in fibroids who operates a lot you know on women with fibroids make sure you bring your latest ultrasound or MRI that they have you know access or or they, they have access to this because there's nothing like getting that spot finally with the doctor. And then you're like, "Oh, they have I no records that's... to read. Exactly. You. <laughs> right. And you have no records and you're like, I did an MRI, but you know, yeah, I don't know what it said, or I don't know where it is. Or I think I had some procedure three years ago, but I don't know what it is. And you know, it's right. kind of like a waste of your time and the doctor's time. So you want to be prepared for the visit. That That is a big Yes, yes. Way.
0: My preference is that you, any imaging or previous visits that you had around this, that you go ahead and send those to the office for review prior to your appointment. Have a note or have a list of any symptoms you're experiencing, any medications, herbs, or vitamins that you're taking. You know, have that notebook ready to, to get your questions answered. Uh, maybe take a family or a trusted advisor with you to kind of have an extra set of ears because it is a process. And some people are very emotional about losing their uterus if they are going down
1: that route. Yes, that's right. All of those are really, really great tips. And, you know, you don't have to decide on anything immediately. You know, you often, there are multiple conversations prior to going to the operating room or prior to deciding to get an IUD or any such thing. So ultimately I really want women to feel that there are options for them and that they're, that this is not a sentence of like how life should be. Because sometimes I also hear that from patients. Well, I guess I'll just deal with it. You know, I'm, I'm in bed like 10 days out of the month, but uh, this is how it was in my family. So I'll just deal with it. I'm like, no, you don't have to deal with that. right? Right. There are options. And so I, I urge all patients to just consider that there are many things out there that, that can help you. So speak to your physician about that.
0: Right, right. And you addressed a lot of those, you know, from pills to an IUD, there's just so many options. Right. Okay. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us to have this yes. chat about abnormal uterine bleeding and fibroid management. I would like you to tell everybody where they can find you.
1: Yeah. This was my pleasure. And you can find me at, on Instagram and YouTube at the fibroid doc or on my website at www.thefibroiddoc.com. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Until next time, be well.
0: All right, Sky community. Thank you for listening to another episode.